1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter number 5. We'll start in verse 14. We've gone through the certainty, the confidence we have in Him, this assurance of our salvation, especially in verse 13. But now look as a result of that, verse 14. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them, the sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say, that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. Now, if we get the rest of the verses, we'll read them in a few minutes, but this is confidence and compassion, because this is talking about our fellowship one with the other, not just with the Lord. First John starts out with our, our fellowship with the Lord, and, and I really did like the how it fit together. I didn't intend to do that this morning, but how it fit together, how Moses wanted to be closer to the Lord. He wanted more from, he wanted more fellowship, more exposure. He wanted to see God's glory. And that's really what this is talking about. First John talks about our fellowship with the Lord in chapter one, but then this passage is talking about our compassion one for the other. And isn't it a blessing to have people to help bear your burdens? Isn't it a blessing to have people sometimes, sometimes to be accountable to? It might just be, hey, that hurt my feelings. And some people don't even think about hurting people's feelings, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So it's all based upon the security of the believer. We are transformed by the uh, renewing of the mind. We're transformed by the Word of God. We're accepted in the Beloved. And of course, in verse 13, we're secure in Him. All we have is in Jesus Christ. I'll look at a few things here in just a moment, but let's pray first. Lord, I thank You for Your goodness to us, for Your faithfulness to us. Lord, I thank You for each one here tonight. Lord, uh, we want to see more chairs filled up. We want to be successful as we invite people to church. We want the bus kids to come with their families. And Lord, we want all these things. We're going to work toward those things. But I certainly thank you for the faithfulness of your people here tonight. Just bless us. May your word have its desired effect, your desired effect in each heart, no matter what I say. But give me the words to speak to affect that in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever thought about this in verse 14? It says, this is the confidence that we have in Him. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. Now, I can tell you, we don't even have to go to these things, but I can tell you, I just looked that up. It says this, in Him we have life. Our life comes from Him. In Him we have life. Going back a little farther, it says we're, we're chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. We're chosen in Him in Ephesians 1, 4. Everything we have is in Jesus Christ. He is our life, isn't He? Everything we have is in Him. In John 3, 15 and 16, eternal life is in Him. Eternal life is in Him. John 15, this is interesting that our, we bear fruit in Him. In Him. Lots of people try to bear fruit without Him. That's what a religion would do. We bear fruit in Him, and we want Him to be the, the source and the, the inspiration, the power of our fruit bearing. The remission of sins, Acts 10, 43. Just think about that remission of sins. There are verses that just strike you, aren't there? In, in chapter 3, if you go back, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now that's a verse to take and just think about. We, can, we are called the sons of God. We're adopted into His family. Just meditate upon that verse. You know, in our daily Bible reading, I encourage reading the Bible through at least once a year. But listen, 
just getting a nugget like that that you can think about all day long and, and meditate upon all day long, what a blessing that will be for you that day. Um, it says, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You look at all the glory and majesty of God who created the heavens and the earth. Jesus created the heavens and the earth by speaking, by speaking. He upholds them by the word of his power, all those things. And we get to be joint heirs with him. Why? Because we are in him. Our lives are hid with Christ in God. Our lives are in Acts 17, 28. The Bible says, and I like this, you got to turn here, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, it says this. It says, now, chapter 1 is great. We have, he, he comforts us in all our tribulation. But look at verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Just think about that. All of his promises are in him. All of our promises, all the promises that we hold dear are in him. Philippians 3, we are in his righteousness. We are built in him, a household built in him. Colossians 2, and I love this one too, Colossians 2.10, we are complete in him. You know what breaks your heart, what saddens you constantly is this, that people are still looking all the time to find something to fill the void in their lives, and they'll turn to booze, they'll turn to, they'll turn to uh, drugs and all kinds of things because they know there's something missing. Just like that great big guy in California when I first moved down here, he was a big red-headed guy, and his son was even bigger. And they did, uh, they did plaster. Down there, they did a lot of plastering, and so they held a hawk full of cement concrete. It's heavy. You hold that all day long and you spread it all over the wall. And every weekend, those two guys would go out and get drunk together, go bar hopping. And oftentimes on Mondays, they'd come and they'd been in, pray they'd been in jail over the weekend. And the dad said to Steve, there's got to be more to life than this. There's an emptiness in this world. This world doesn't give you fulfillment. There's an emptiness there. And Steve said, well, as a matter of fact, there is and showed him how to be saved. He'd witnessed to him before, but this time he was ready. And the guy got saved there because we're complete in him. So our text starts out this, this is the confidence that we have in him. My confidence comes in him. If all you have is religion, you don't have a relationship with him. And the confidence is something that you have to do, something to earn. My confidence is in him. And I think of the Christian life much as I think of, as I picture uh, John leaning on the breast of Jesus. You're just close. You're tight. We're in him, aren't we? And so we have confidence that confidence is not in ourselves. Now, look at this promise in prayer. We have power in prayer. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, there's two verses. Take a few minutes to look at that. But we have power in prayer. And I like how it starts out. If we know, uh, this is the confidence we have. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. He heareth us. Have you ever talked to someone whose eyes were going around the crowd? They weren't really apparently uh, uh, paying attention to you. 
On the other hand, you'll talk to something. When, when Donald Trump Jr. was here, we talked to him. Art and I were out there at the airport seeing him, and he shook your hand, and he looked eyeball to eyeball at you and listened to every word you said. That's the idea here. And sometimes they say this, that narcissists, if they're not the center of the conversation, they will interrupt you in the middle of a sentence and change the subject. Why? They don't care in the least what you're saying. They don't care in the least. And you know what God, how God is different from that? We have the confidence that He hears us. He gives us attention. He listens to us. Isn't that a wonderful proof of His deity? I can't listen to two people at once. And most, most of you probably can't either. Most of you. Have you ever been on the phone? I'm sure it doesn't happen to you. And your wife is trying to tell you something. And you can hear one of them. Isn't that right? And by the way, it could be your wife on the phone and you're trying to tell her something and she can hear one of us either on the phone or you. We have this confidence that he hears us. We could test it tonight. Is it true for all of us here tonight? We could all be praying to him at the same time he hears every one of us. It doesn't qualify that. He hears us. What a great thing, isn't it? Um, <clears throat> He hears us. We have power in prayer in asking. James 4, 2 says, you have not because you ask not or you ask amiss. Think about that. Think about that. I said it many times, Dr. Ruckman preached a message and he would do a, a, chalk, uh, a chalk drawing while he was preaching. And he preached God on the throne. And then behind it was a whole bunch of boxes. And he just didn't say anything about it until he got close to that. And he says, now I suppose you wonder what those boxes are. Those are the things you could have had, but you never asked for them. So I have asked for Ferraris, just in case. Just in case, okay? You have not because you ask not. Probably the other part of that applies. My brother built a whole engine for that Barracuda I have over in Washington. It had a whole engine, new clutch, new radiator, all the stuff put that thing together, and he put a little extra cam in the engine, and I thought, you know... I probably don't need to be driving that. I'm a preacher now. I didn't mind not getting my Harley back in the road. I'm a preacher now. We, have, we don't want to consume it upon our lust, but isn't it wonderful that this says he hears us? And when we ask him, it is conceding that we have a need we can't meet ourselves. Think of all the things we ask of God. If you lack wisdom, you ask of God, who gives to all men liberally. If whatever you need, he knows our needs before we ask them. Sometimes we pray in the behalf of someone else, and we beg God to do something. He knows the things we're going to pray for. He knows our needs, and we know this, that he hears us. That is standing in a court of law. Hey, if they're going to bring charges against you, they have to prove, first of all, they have jurisdiction in that matter. And you know what? We have standing before God because we're in Him. We're in Him. And yet, it gives this qualification. It says, if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. You know, that's a simple thing. It's probably best said by George Mueller. You're not trying to overcome in prayer His reluctance. You are laying hold of His willingness to bless you. Did you hear that? Our prayer life is not to convince him of something he's not convinced of. 
is to lay hold on his willingness. Now, if that were anyone else writing that, you might write it off, but that's George Mueller who had a lifetime history of praying for the impossible. And we're promised that if we ask according to his will, you wouldn't have any problem asking God to provide food for the orphans in an orphanage, would you? Not in the least bit. You don't have any problem asking God to save someone because it's God's will to save the world, isn't it? Not his will that any should perish. You don't have any problem asking God for things like that. You're submitting to him. Well, that's where you don't want to consume it upon your own lust. Do you seek his will? Do you seek his will? According to his will, and I've preached on the will of God before again, I can just refer to some of these. What is Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you therefore by what? The will of God. You know what God's will is? That we present our bodies a living sacrifice. We present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable all unto God, which is our reasonable service, and not be conformed to this world. But think about that. What God's will is, is that we say each day, here I am, Lord, do with me as you please. Now, we can get caught up in the cares of this life, that's, it wouldn't be the first time, would it? We can get discouraged because of the problems in this life. Again, that's a common problem. In fact, the Bible pl plainly says, no temptation taken you, but such is a common to man. Whatever you're going through, lots of people have gone through, and even worse. But we know this. His will is that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. It's not one shot and you're done. Here I am, Lord. What do you want for me today? And then it's a pretty easy thing to see his hand on your shoulder, feel his hand on your shoulder all the way through the day. Give a track to that person. Speak to that person. Tell that person you're praying for him. In uh, Romans 15, 32, look at this one. Romans 15, verse 32, the Bible says, <clears throat> it says, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. You know, Paul's, Paul's conviction about going to see his friends was, it's the will of God for me to go see you. And how much is joy part of the will of God? Think about that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. His will is for us to live a life of joy. I like that in 2 Corinthians, I think it is. If I make you sorry, who is the one that makes me glad but the one that's been made sorry by me? Hey, why not have a positive influence on people? I want a positive influence on my kids. I want my kids to know that no matter what problem comes our way, we're going to trust God and He's going to see us through it. It isn't always going to be the way you expect. But I want my kids to know that you can trust God. Not just for salvation, but I mean for every step of the way. You ask yourself, what influence have you Give, given lastingly for your families and your friends. You want to have that enduring uh, blessing for them. Galatians 1.4, His will is to deliver us from this present evil world. That's why Jesus came. Isn't it great to be able to pray in that? I'm ready for God to deliver me from this world. Aren't you? I'm ready for that. His will is to deliver me. God, how about today? How about today? You pray in His will. In Ephesians 6, 6, His will is to serve God from your heart. 
Lots of people serve mechanically, and frankly, that's what causes marriages to grow cold. That's what causes church to grow cold. That's what uh, uh, robs a Bible teaching and believing church of the gospel, and they just go into religion instead. He wants to serve us. He wants us to serve him from our hearts. Man, when would you, how could you get over the fact that not just are you called to be a son of God, but he took you where you were and saved your soul. And when he saves a man's soul, so much of the time the whole household is transformed. <coughs> and the dynamic between a husband and a wife has such a lasting effect on children. Such a lasting effect on children. Well, in Colossians 4, I, don't, I can't start this one. Colossians 4 and verse uh, 12. Colossians 4, 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That is the will of God, kind of portrayed by Paul in 2 Timothy 4, that he found God's purpose and did it. Do you stand perfect? You find God's will, and you, you grow in that will, and you stand in that will that we have a mature stand. This one spells it out plainly. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, the will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is your sanctification. The sanctifica sanctification means, I mean, there's another message there. Uh, I'm as saved as I'm ever going to be in this flesh. When I get to heaven, my flesh will be redeemed too, won't it? Sanctification is just setting something apart for service. And, you, and, and it's another message too. In Romans 1, Paul says, I am separated unto the gospel. There's a whole bunch of people don't understand separation because they think it's about them. No, I don't want to be a stumbling block to someone. You can be a stumbling block by doing something that's not evil. You know how I know that? Meat offered to idols. Hey, meat's meat. But if it's something that will cause someone else to stumble, I don't want to be the cause for someone else's stumbling. Spurgeon used to smoke a cigar. And in those days, they didn't, they didn't much care about that. I mean, they didn't know that they hadn't figured out the tie between that and cancer and all that, uh, and uh, smoking at any rate. But he's walking down the sidewalk one day, and he looked at a sign in a window. It said, smoke the cigar Spurgeon smokes. He thought, I'm done with that because I'm not going to be the advertisement for that. I'm not going to be the advertisement for that. Uh, you see, I just don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to be inspiration to people. I don't know if I'm an inspiration, but I know this. It's real easy to be a stumbling block. How do you know that? The kids in the church say, to, well, you as a child in a church probably said, Dad, can I do that? No. Well, how come the other deacon's son can do it? He's not your, he's not, I'm not, I'm not his father. That's how you put it. I don't want to be a stone of stumbling to you. I don't want to be a stumbling block. And the separation that I, fi I find to be crucial today is so that we have a pure testimony and we're not the cause for someone else's or maybe the excuse for someone else's sin. Hey, you don't make people sin, but I don't want to be the excuse. I want to be the inspiration, don't you? 
Don't you? And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, the will of God is our thanksgiving. Give thanks in all things. These were written in times of persecution way worse than we've experienced. <clears throat> and God still wants us to live, of th live in thanksgiving. 1 Peter 2.15, what is in the will of God is, if you're going to suffer, suffer for Jesus' sake, that you be a good testimony. Because you know today there are all kinds of people that say all you Christians are the same, and they associate Bible-believing Christians with, with Roman priests. And that's faulty. Or they support uh, preachers with TV evangelists. And that's false. But if you're going to suffer, the will of God is that you suffer and be a good testimony to the lost around you. Hey, that's the will of God. So he says, if you, ask, if you ask anything of God in his will, you know he hears you. And you could probably go a lot more places. I know in Philippians 4, it says, these are the things you should think on. Think on these things. Why? So that you can meditate on the sweet word of God, identify the sweet will of God, and work, walk the walk of God in this life. And he promises some wonderful things that we have power in prayer as we pray according to the word of God. Well, how about this? The power in prayer comes in waiting. Hey, the hardest thing to do is to wait on the Lord, isn't it? It's been wonderful. In fact, yesterday we went up to do bus visiting and we saw a golden eagle on the ground up there. This is a time of year when you see eagles all the time. I saw several eagles at a fairly new roadkill just down here a couple of weeks ago. And there's nothing quite like seeing that black eagle with a white head and they spread their wings and just take off. They launch themselves and sometimes you'll see three, four, five of them. That's why when the Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. Hey, hummingbirds have wings too. Okay, but I like the image of an eagle's wings, don't you? They that wait upon the Lord, that means waiting upon the Lord. It's contrary to your flesh. You're waiting upon the will of God in your life. You're waiting upon his direction, but they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. That anticipates that your strength is going to diminish. Whether you get older or you just get weary or you feel abandoned by God as sometimes the psalmist did, you wait on the Lord and you'll renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings as eagles. And even running, not being weary and walking and not fainting, all those things will be taken care of when you do what is a spiritual thing, not a carnal thing. That is, you wait upon the Lord. So we have power in prayer and waiting knowing this, that he hears us. Hey, if the answer were immediate, he wouldn't have to remind us that he hears us. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? He hears us. If you don't listen, it's very impolite. If you don't listen, it's not polite in this world. And God assures us that he hears us, that he hears us. <clears throat> His will is to be accomplished. You're praying that his will be accomplished. And in provision, look at verse 15. We know that he hear us whatsoever we ask. We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. We petition God's for something. 
It might be <clears throat> direction uh, in life. It might be uh, a burden you bear. It might be provision. It could be a whole bunch of things, but we know this. We have the petition we had of Him. All you're doing is reminding God of His will, isn't it? God, your will is that I do this. Would you please accomplish this? God, it's your will that I do this. Would you give me the strength to do that? God, it's your will that people get saved. Would you convict this heart? Man, excuse me. When you see the provision of God promised, you know this, prayer is powerful, isn't it? Think about Daniel. The first one comes to my mind is Daniel who will die with the soothsayers if he doesn't, if he doesn't get the, uh, the dream of the king revealed and the interpretation. They go and they isolate themselves and pray, and God gives all of that to him. And in the process, he saves the lives of all the soothsayers as well. Isn't that amazing? Prayer is powerful, isn't it? Prayer is powerful. <laughs> and there might be special prayers... <clears throat> that you've heard, the ones I appreciate are the ones, and I can, it's Hezekiah and Josiah, I think it was, where one of them prayed, God, we can't fight against these people. And God says, I'll take care of it. 185,000 dead the next day. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Prayer is powerful. But prayer is also experiential. You know what's important about praying? So that you cultivate your faith in God, you cultivate your trust in God, you build your confidence in God, and then you and all those that share that burden see God's provision. It may not always be the one you want, but it'll always be better than you ever thought. Won't it be? So that people have heard about a guy went into a bookstore and, and a used bookstore and asked if he could find it was probably a new bookstore ask if he could have a prayer book. And the guy says, well, which one would you like? This one? And he was trying to sell him a Catholic prayer book that says, if you're distressed, you say these words. He said, oh, no, no, no. I want a blank one. I want a blank one. Because I put down the date that I start asking this prayer, and then I write next to it the date God answers it. And another person was overhearing it. He says, you have God answer your prayers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he had filled up his previous book. What does that do for him? Well, it's a testimony. The world knows nothing about that. But look what it does to you. What happens if you, if you had one of those prayer books that was owned by George Mueller? Wouldn't it be fun to look at that? I don't know if there ever was one. But if you had a prayer book where he says, yeah, we sat down to breakfast and had no food in the house and prayed. And a truck, I mean, a... a hack, whatever it was, broke down outside his house. We have a bunch of bread. It's going to spoil. Would you take that bread? They just prayed for lunch, breakfast. They had no, nothing in the house, and God provided. Wouldn't it be great to go through the history of George Mueller dealing with thousands of orphans in England in a dark time? And God came through and provided each and every time. And he got stronger and stronger and stronger in his faith. He was one in whose presence Spurgeon said, I'm, I'm in awe. Isn't that amazing? Here's a man that wrote the book on prayer. I mean, a human book on prayer, and it cost him. People don't realize his wife was independently wealthy. 
and to pray like that, he sold everything she had twice. Because how can I pray for God to provide when I have the means right here? Now, I'm not advocating selling everything your wife had unless she's on a long journey. I still wouldn't do that. Thank you, Steve. But do you understand, that's the price this man paid to have power in prayer. And he wouldn't do that without her on board. She probably bought back a lot of it later, and he might have sold it again. I think he did that twice. He's not against her having her special things. But, you know, we oftentimes pray and ask God to do for us what we can do ourselves. Well, prayer is experiential, and that's something to share with uh, your children especially. Pray together. I've said this long time. Pray with your wife on special things that no one else knows about. God, would you do this for us? And just you and your wife praying about something, hey, it's God's will that our bond be built up. It's God's will that we stand for the Lord. It's God's will that, that we provide the needs for our home. And you pray together and you will have a sweet fellowship together as you pray about these things. And yes, sometimes you wait for God to come through. But what a joy it is when God comes through and the next time you have a need, let's pray about that again. It's uh, experiential. Answers to prayer give confidence, don't they? Hey, we prayed before and God came through. We'll trust Him again, won't we? Uh, sometimes desperation is a motivation for us to pray, to study, to see what His will is in it. But you study you the motivation to examine your heart, to examine God's will. But it's motivation to us as well, isn't it? So the first part of this is about prayer, but then in verse 16, if any man see his brother's sin, a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sit not unto death. Now there are two portions to this. The first one, praying for someone who's sinning not unto death, and then those that do sin unto death. The presence of sin is something that doesn't leave the body of believers till our flesh is redeemed. And you can know that. We've commented on that many times. Sometimes it's impatience. Oh, it's not one of those big sins we think, but when you look at, I mean, just look at Galatians chapter, whatever chapter that is. Galatians um, chapter 3 or 4. I know that. Galatians chapter, uh, no, it's chapter 5. It says... <clears throat> Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Oh, we say amen to a lot of those. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That just means to be defiled. You can defile your mind with what you put in front of your eyes. Uncleanness, lasciviousness. You can be lusting. That just means a desire for something that you shouldn't have. Something inordinate. And you can have that hidden in your heart and have a smile on your face, a sublime smile on your face where people don't even know about it, and yet that's still the work of the flesh, isn't it? Idolatry, witchcraft. Imagine hatred as one of those things. Hatred. 
variance, emulations, that's just jealousies, wrath, strife, uh, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. I mean, look at all those things that can be hiding in a heart that, not, that are not visible. You know, the Christian who wants to ask everything in God's will and the Christian who suffers a setback, the first thing we should do is look into our own hearts, isn't it? What is it that I should do differently? What is God trying to speak to me about? That doesn't mean there's anything in that particular instance, but remember when Jesus said to those 12 disciples, one of you is going to betray me tonight. Eleven of them asked, is it I? Peter did, and Andrew, and James, all them asked. And then, I don't know if I should have looked at that up, but I don't know if Judas asked him or not, but Jesus said, it's the one to whom I dip this sop. And he gave the sop to Judas and Judas, and he said, that thou doest too quickly. And no one even suspected him. And he went out and betrayed his Lord. After Jesus said one month, and I don't think of the 11, they all thought that he was going out to do an errand for Jesus. That's sad, isn't it? Presence of sin is something we deal with. Uh, there's a sin unto death. There's a sin unto death. Now, uh, remember this. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, in the communion table, you're not to take of the table unworthily. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. The context is obviously sleeping is death. How do you know that from the rest of Scripture? Think of Ananias and Sapphira. Undoubtedly, they were believers. Undoubtedly so. What was their sin? Their sin was that they sold a prophet. They wanted to live in hypocrisy. Hey, look how generous we are when, in fact, they colluded to, to say it was more than they, that they got more out of the property than they gave. doesn't matter if they gave the whole amount of the property. It's just the hypocrisy of lying about it. Because that's what the problem was. Peter said, you've lied to God in lying to the Holy Spirit. And they died. Why? Because the early church couldn't afford to have hypocrisy at its foundation. Nor can any church. Nor can any church. What about Moses and Aaron? <clears throat> By the way, Aaron had to pay that price too when Moses smote that rock the second time. Man, it spoiled the whole, the whole type of that rock. And you think about the ramifications. That rock that followed them was Christ, wasn't it? And the water came from the rock, the water of life. Life comes from Jesus Christ, and that rock that followed them was Jesus Christ, according to the New Testament. But Jesus was only smitten once. He died once for our sins. What's the essence of Rome? That they called Jesus off the throne and put him to death again, and you eat his body literally at their mass. And you know what? Moses smote the rock the second time contrary to what God said. He violated that. That, uh, er that error was, <clears throat> that error was, uh, was defying the type of Christ who was the rock that followed them. Well, he asked the Lord at least twice, could he please go into that land? 
And in Deuteronomy 3.26, God said, don't speak to me anymore about this. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Smiting the rock a second time denied entrance to the promised land. And Aaron suffered for it too. I think that's Numbers 20.12. Aaron suffered. And he died just before Moses did. He didn't get to go into that promised land. So there are brethren. These, this is talking about brethren that aren't lost. That aren't lost. Probably not same sins for everyone. If you see someone that sins not unto death, something they won't necessarily die for, you pray for them. It doesn't necessarily say you confront them. Sometimes that's necessary. But you pray for them. People, people need the Lord. People need to be prayed for. It's nice to know that people are praying for you. When my friend Bill called me, I might have shared this Wednesday night, when my friend Bill called me and, and uh, I told him when I got home, found out my cousin died. You know, the next day his mom called me, said, I'm just praying for you, just praying for you. I've known them for a long time and I assured them I'm praying for their family. They're going through some things right now and Glenn went to the hospital and they said they tried to do a heart surgery and I said, no, I can't do anything. Go home. What that means is go home and probably die. He said, I'm praying for you guys and, and all that. Isn't it a blessing to know that people are praying for you? Isn't that a blessing? Well, you intercede for someone for sin that is not unto death. You don't have to pray for the ones that are unto death. Sins that are unto death are probably people that uh, are going to be judged anyway. I mean, you don't pray for someone to get out of, a, uh, out of a murder rap. You can pray for God to give mercy. After all, God did show mercy to David. But what happens if someone's on death row and they get saved? If they get saved, you know what they're probably going to say? I did the crime. It's right. It's right. I don't know that all of them would say it. I don't know if I would say that, but Paul had that attitude. If I'm guilty of something worthy of death, I don't deny dying. So we're to told how to deal with the presence of sin and then defines what sin is. 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there's a sin not unto death. That's where you pray and uphold your brothers and sisters in Christ. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one touches them not. You see the gravity of that sin? The wicked one is going to try to get a hold on you. Remember in 2 Corinthians where they, uh, uh, they came down hard on the man probably that was rebuked for sin in 1 Corinthians 5? And the whole thing that strikes me there is lest Satan get an advantage of us. All Satan has to do to get an advantage of us is to encourage our righteous indignation when it's probably self-righteous indignation. I think there was enough condemnation to go around in the church at 1 Corinthians. But they picked on one and jumped on him. And that's all it takes for Satan to get an advantage, isn't it? That's all it takes. All unrighteousness is, is sin. <coughs> Excuse me, Dr. Northside, if you could just remember to cover that when you cough because it's so loud and I never remember to cover it.
till after I've coughed. Anyway, uh, if you're born of God, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And this whole book has been about that fellowship, how it started in chapter 1. That if we, if we say that we have not sinned, we make God a liar. But if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? It's a wonderful blessing. We have fellowship with Him, and that was the context of chapter 1. Our fellowship with Him is tainted by sin, but there's forgiveness and restoration, isn't there? And what this implies to me is that if you're born of God, you're not going to be wallowing in sin. The most unhappy person in the world is not the lost man. Because the lost man doesn't know any better. It's certainly not the saved man walking with the Lord because you get the joy of the Lord being your strength. It's the saved man that, does, that knows he's doing wrong. And what kind of joy can you have? You don't fit in with the world because you know better. You don't really fit in with the saints because you know better. Hey, they may not know what's going on in your heart, but you do. You do. And the one born of God really can hardly, can't wallow in his sin. I like that. I think it's Romans 6. Look at it. And it's always a temptation for people to go back to the things they came from because that's what was normal in your life. It says in Romans 6, 21, what fruit had you then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? Chapter 6 is all about Yielding your members to the world or to the Spirit. It says, what fruit did you have in those things? What fruit did you have in those things? I think the first time I saw someone with delirium tremens, have you ever seen someone with DTs? They're sober and they just shake like this. And this guy I saw was probably 40, 45. He already had that. What fruit do you have from that old world? What fruit do you have from that old world? None of it's good. None of it's good. And why would you want to wallow in those things? And it's a temptation to every saint that gets saved to go back and, well, to, to, to witness to my old friends, hey, if you, you're not going to witness to them in that crowd most likely. The most effective way is getting them privately and they probably won't appreciate it. Certainly not at first. Rarely do they. What fruit do you have there? Hey, the good fruit is the sweet fruit of the fellowship of the Holy Ghost and God's people. So, all in righteousness of sin. We are of God, and the world lies in sin. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. You're seeing that more every day, aren't you? The whole world lieth in wickedness. Man, it is amazing to me how politicians can be presented with daily lies doesn't affect them at all. You know, you'd think that someone would show shame. They don't. They don't. They have an agenda, and anything justifies the agenda. Or the agenda justifies anything. Well, we are of God. The world lies in sin. 
The difference is our attitude toward that sin. And all of 1 John's all about that, how we can have certainty of our eternal destiny, how we can have fellowship day to day, how, can we, how we can have the Word of God dwelling in us richly, and how we can be a blessing to one another, and, and how the fruit of God's love in us is that we love the brethren. Isn't it funny the Bible says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men? It's not going to be natural. You're going to be drawn to some people and not to others. God knows that, but you love the brothers, don't you? I've said many times about that guy at, at Ironwood that moved out to the Mojave Desert in the Depression. He and his four or five brothers, and they could always get work there at the railroad, and they were hungry, so they moved out to middle of nowhere. There's not much to recommend that place, and I'm sure there was less during the Depression. They could always get work because when they walked down the sidewalk together, the sidewalks cleared. Mr. Wheat was about 6'6", six, six, and he was the runt of the family. And he could lift up a tractor and take the wheel off and change it. He was a big man, and he got saved later in life. And you'd see him. He was probably in his 80s when he was there at the camp. He had a little three-wheeler, and he'd ride around that camp and water all the trees. He did so many things, no one even knew about it till he was gone. But he had a sweet testimony of salvation. He had a sweet testimony. Well, the promises of God, last two verses, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. What the true God is, is knowing Christ a good deity verse. But what the true God also is, is knowing you have eternal life. It's not conditional upon my behavior. I discussed this with the other day, uh, <clears throat> that uh, God can love you more. I said, no, I don't think God loves me more than he did the day he got, that I got saved. Well, what about John? He was the one that Jesus loves, leaning on Jesus' breast. I said, that's the way he can anonymously refer to himself. If God could love you anymore, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love can be shown is what he did for me. And the problem today, people think that they have to earn affection. Not from God, you don't. Men, sometimes that's the way, and that's, that's not right. That's not right, is it? You know, all of this was written to combat the Gnostics. That's why as it gives us all the doctrines about Jesus Christ, His deity and the life-changing and life-transforming power of trusting Him as Savior and the security that you have in Him, that's why in 2 John it says, if any man comes without this doctrine of Christ, don't have him in your house. That is a poison not only you don't want in your home, you don't want your neighbors to see in your home. That's what it says. Because Jesus is the name above every name. Jesus is the one that God the Father was well pleased with. Jesus is the one that the Holy Spirit always lifts up. And if you're going to compromise my Jesus, I have no fellowship with you. That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. Hate to come to the end of that book. I love that book. 
But you know, gives us confidence, gives us an encouragement to pray, gives us all the things that are so desperately needed today, and I thank God for that. Let's pray.